0: Well, good morning, everyone. Wow, it's great to see you this morning. Hope you've had a great start to your day. What a beautiful morning it's been, and uh, we're glad you're here. Feel, feel a little fill of fall in the air for sure these days. Uh, today, Galatians chapter 5 is where we'll start, and we're going to be uh, looking at a passage that I'll reference, obviously, as we get into our time this morning, with some historical context to it, and uh, the process of looking Today at uh, the next three Sundays, so this Sunday and the next two, looking at things relevant to the election. That's a important topic of our day and of our time, and we need to have a biblical perspective to it. And I want to start here in Galatians chapter five. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn they won't be on the screen. We'll just uh, reference them uh, as we look at uh, or these two. At least they won't be on the big screen. I know that. But uh, if you're there, Galatians chapter five. We're going to look at two verses and. Uh, We'll uh, take a look at our, at our uh, sermon this morning, relevant to the election. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this day you've given us. Indeed, you are the Lord our God, and we today offer praise. We offer our hearts of gratitude. We offer ourselves once again before you. As the song said, you've seen our flaws, and yet you know, and as you know everything about us, we are still your friend because we have put our faith our trust in Christ our savior and i pray today you'll call us to that reality that we may serve you with greater purpose and that we may worship you with greater intent i do pray that you'll bless our time these next few moments will go quickly may they be used properly and purposefully In helping us understand events of our day and how we can be involved as Christians, as followers of Christ, as biblically minded individuals to these things which are around us in this time of the season of our nation. I pray that you'll uh, allow us now to be focused on what's before us, both in your word, and may the Holy Spirit have liberty uh, to work in our hearts, our lives, and in the word of, uh, of the scriptures. May we find comfort and may we find direction and guidance. We do pray to bless our land. America needs much prayer, but America needs also to have individuals with a biblical mindset to step up, and may we, Lord, be willing to make our voices heard and to use our opportunity, our obligation, even our duty of voting as a way to express our faith. I pray to bless our time this morning for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Galatians chapter five. I want to read two verses that are not directly beside each other, so you have to skip down a little bit. Verse one to start with. Galatians, of course, is a book that the apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia, not a city, more as much as a region. It'd be like writing a uh, a letter to the Piedmont Triad, right? Sort of a regional um, uh, concept. In in writing to these Christians, he brings to their attention an important concept. I want you to see if you can. Catch the word that's common to both these verses. Stand fast, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Pause on that for a moment. Think about that. Our faith in Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. His particular reference point is the bondage of religious ceremony and religious ritual to the Jews, the Mosaic law, that was a a yoke cast upon their shoulders. Don't be dragged down by those things, but understand your freedom in Christ as Lord and Savior. Now jump down to verse 13. We'll sort of see the conclusion of this argument here. Verse 13, for brethren, of course, writing to Christians, ye have been called unto liberty You have this wonderful opportunity to understand liberty in Christ. He references in verse 1. But he reminds us, do not use liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Don't make it into some understanding that you can do whatever you want to, whenever you want to. It's an understanding that our liberty has bounds to it. So how do we exercise our liberty, Paul? If, you, if I'm not going to use it to the flesh, well, he gives it to us at the very end. The Holy Spirit says through Paul, but love, but by love serve one another. There's an obligation placed upon us that as we understand our liberty in Christ is not to be used for selfish purposes, but rather is to be given over to service for others. Did you catch the word common to both verses? It's used three times. The word liberty It's an important word. It's an important word to the scriptures, an important word for us as Americans. Let's look at liberty first from the perspective in which Paul addresses it. Liberty is the marked blessing of grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We have liberty in Christ by the faith that we have placed in him as Lord and Savior. Liberty is freedom from the slavery of sin. It is independence from religious regulation and ritual. So many people are still caught up in religious ritual. They just think going through the ritual will somehow draw you closer to God. Liberty is a release from the weight of doubt and confusion that often marks those who have no purpose and direction in life. Liberty is the mark of new life in Christ. We see and understand things differently with the Bible before us and God's truth impacting our thinking. It is the mark of new life in Christ. Do you know this Liberty? You can only know this Liberty if you know Christ as Savior. You can only know this Liberty if Christ is Lord of your life. You can only know this Liberty if you have Come before the Lord and bow before Him to repent of your sin and confess before Him you are helpless and hopeless without Him. You can only know this liberty if you have received His gift of salvation. No wonder the Apostle Paul, as the Holy Spirit inspires him, lifts up liberty. and says, let this be the calling that motivates you to serve others. Let it be the reality you understand that liberty is not bondage it is independence it is freedom it is an opportunity to do well in your Christian life as you serve others these verses were important not only to the time of the writing of the Apostle Paul and to the church in Galatia that needed to hear this but it was also important to a generation of Americans that first generations those first generations who heard the opportunity is to have a country where we can do what? We can vote. Well what's that about? Liberty, it is echoed through the pages of American history with great fervor and great intensity. In this election season our radios and TV channels present a seemingly endless parade of political commercials. Are you tired of them yet? Amen. well that may be the best amen I get all day. <laughs> our internet is interrupted by pop-ups even our text messages and emails aren't exempt from political hoopla it just seems to be all around us. It makes me want to go back and crawl under the bed it's just it's just overwhelming we've probably all grunted at some of those commercials, snarled at the TV resisted kicking it because we knew we'd have to replace it, but we just, you know, we're just, it's just something just grabs our emotions about it. So today, and really today is a, at least one part of, of at least two, maybe three, we'll see where it goes, and as our time and opportunity the Lord directs, I want to spend a little bit of talking about the duty of Christian Americans. While it certainly is true that political advertisements are part and parcel of the election season, We should understand that there are greater issues at hand rather than who has the best 30 second commercial. To grasp a bit of that thought, I want us to reflect back on those earlier generations that I mentioned. Those first generations of Americans. I want us to look back at our nation's birth and be reminded of a generation of Americans that had to learn what it meant to be free citizens to have liberty at their, at their thought and to vote. After all that generation of Americans alive in the 1770s and 1780s they were born colonists. They were subjects to King George III, who our founding fathers rightly labeled a tyrant because he abused his power. He overstepped his bounds he imposed his selfish desires on the people. For that generation, born colonists, who committed themselves to fight for independence and to win that independence at great cost, voting wasn't something they had learned in school. They'd never seen their parents vote. They'd never heard it talked about in the church. But they knew this, they didn't trade the king in England a king in America their intent was to use independence to establish a new land and a new government system but what would it be how would they structure it after exiting the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia and in response to a question about what type of government America would have Ben Franklin is reported to have said that we had a republic if we could keep it but what would it mean to keep it to sustain it to see it thrive and grow to be strengthened what would that mean as a result of that time in the 1790s and early 1800s the trend became for churches and and preachers to present what would become known as election sermons Election sermons were used to provide some guidance, and to, pro- to give some perspective about how to integrate biblical truth into the values that a person voted with. That generation recognized and valued the need for this new country not to just be economically robust, not to just be politically stable and militarily strong, but a country that was biblically minded and had a conscience towards God's intervention in the affairs of government and community and family. That generation had a perspective that if we were going to succeed, it would only be done with God's blessing. They had seen God's hand in what had transpired in these last years and even a few decades as America this little upstart group of colonies took on the greatest army the strongest nation in the world and won it wasn't without great cost it wasn't without great expense of life and of treasure but they had recognized that they had done something that was humanly impossible I like the way one historian phrased it America is a miracle And that was a recognition of that generation. And they knew that God's hand, whom they often referenced as providence, the providence of God. They even compared America to the biblical Israel, whom God had miraculously delivered from Egypt. Led them across that Red Sea and through a wilderness that would take them to the promised land. They saw America as a parallel to that Biblical story. There was even suggestions that America's seal, when the discussion came about in Congress, what should our seal be? There were many who suggested an image of Moses standing with his rod at the edge of the Red Sea, recognizing freedom had been given to them by God. They saw God's hand of deliverance, provision, establishment and they were not going to let it pass as this nation was birthed into just the back corners of their thinking nor would it be pushed aside in the discussions that would be had in congress and it would not be set aside from the pulpits of the churches patriotic and, and election sermons were preached for many decades and I would like to think today I'm continuing something of that tradition with this look at election issues from the pulpit. Election sermons valued the principles of liberty as a blessing of God. They referenced verses in the scripture, such as the ones we've looked at. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. You have been called to liberty. That biblical understanding and that biblical platform of liberty then became a stepping stone to understanding national and civil liberty. They reference 2 Corinthians 317, now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. They valued greatly the understanding of liberty in Christ as a platform to be a citizen in America. Those first Americans knew the sound of the Liberty Bell. Not called that because it was rung on July 4, 1776 there in Philadelphia, but called the Liberty Bell because is inscribed across the top part of the passage from Leviticus 25:10, "Proclaim liberty throughout all the land and unto all the inhabitants thereof." they saw a natural extension from the spiritual freedom available in the gospel of Christ to the political and civil freedoms provided in the Constitution and if we were to keep this republic then voting would become a moral necessity a civil obligation and even a Christian duty I have a couple of volumes of books of sermons from this time frame of the middle 1700s to the early 1800s. I enjoy the opportunity to read the the thoughts and the sermons. They're preserved because sermons of the day, which obviously weren't being cast over the internet, were printed. The pastor's writing would be transcribed and it would be printed in the local newspaper. And over time, those collections of sermons were gathered and Retained, I enjoyed looking at the titles of the election sermons, of the patriotic sermons of the day. Listen to a few of them. Some were just as simple. 1791 and 17 through the early 1790s there were sermons simply entitled, A Sermon on the Occasion of the Election. It was, again, to help the Christians understand the importance of the election and what it meant for them. A sermon delivered in 1790, a discourse on the love of our country. In 1791, the inalienable rights of conscience. In 1798, where I borrow part of my title today, a sermon was delivered called the Duty of Americans. In 1800, a sermon on the evils of a weak government. That one probably could be preached today, couldn't it? In 1800, also a sermon entitled A Solemn Address to Christians and Patriots. Often these election sermons were preached by Baptists. The Baptists had made quite headway in their teachings and in their um, evangelization of the gospel to the communities of the Americas. Two names stand out, probably and likely not known by many here. Isaac Bacchus one of the most intellectual men of his day was a strong standing Baptist very influential voice of his day in the late 1700's Isaac Bacchus was a preacher of the gospel there in Massachusetts much of what was happening in America had centered from the grounds of Massachusetts and he was an influential voice of his day the generation shortly after him would come to know the the name of Baptist pastor John Leland also originally from Massachusetts he spent 15 years the last 15 years of the 1700s in Virginia where he found himself in the circle of those founding fathers and he influenced especially James Madison Baptist certainly had a perspective of the importance and today I'd like to call us as a Baptist Church as a Baptist congregation back into our understanding of the value of being a Christian in a place where we are a citizen which has a right to vote. In reading through those sermons, skimming through them, maybe a better way to say it, again this week, I was caught by some common themes that were found in sermons delivered by the Baptist or by Presbyterians or by Congregationalist or by Methodist it's quite a collection but I found some common themes a common theme to recognize the sovereignty of Christ over humanity as Lord and Savior the importance of understanding Christ is individually our Lord and Savior but his sovereignty extends also to that of a nation I found a theme of the necessity of Christian character for the people for us we the people but also the necessity of Christian character and our elected representatives and that we should expect them to practice virtue and defend liberty I found a theme of the importance of strong relationship between good laws and good representatives by good a term that's used quite frequently in that time by good they meant individuals who reverenced God, who acknowledged his providential hand, and who intended to conduct the government's business in honesty and virtue. Oh, would it be that we'd have such politicians today? By good, they meant those who sought for the greater cause of community and nation and were not ruled by their own selfish passions. By good, they meant those who endeavored to expand the ideals of a republic or citizens were guaranteed the promises of liberty especially as they were given in the Bill of Rights the freedom of religion, of speech, of press, of assembly, and of self-defense I found that those sermons often esteemed the word patriot they saw a patriot as someone in the mold of the founding fathers who was willing to sacrifice and if the you recognize the last part the last statements of the Declaration of Independence those who would give their lives their fortunes and their sacred honor in the just cause of Liberty to them liberty was a rich inheritance to be passed to future generations and here we are in the year 2020 a distant generation for sure but we need to find ourselves again called to the realities of the opportunities liberty has given us but liberty in the mind of that generation as is presented from the scripture was not an experience unto itself it was not just liberty for the sake of liberty again that's Paul's argument if you have liberty for the sake of liberty you feel like you can just do whatever you want to you can satisfy your flesh to the nth degree No, their perspective is that liberty had to be grounded in Biblical faith and truth. They perceived liberty as a seedbed of America's spiritual, social, and political strength. America would have to have an ethically strong backbone built upon Biblical principles of justice and truth. As John Adams, when he was president, said in 1798, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. But those first Americans, or for those first Americans, the enemy of liberty was always tyranny. They scrawled at the thought of George III, who had used his tyranny, as they saw it, to extend the use of government for strictly personal reasons. We know the phrase taxation without representation that grew out of that era because King George has simply said, I'll put a tax on this colonist. We'll take more money from them. We'll diminish their rights. We won't honor them as citizens except to use their resources and their treasure. Tyranny was a word that they understood well. Whether it was a tyranny of a king, like George III, or of a despot, or of a dictator, those who used political authority for their own selfish interest would not be the ones that would be lifted up here in America. No, our system would be built upon values and morals with a biblical perspective. Of course, they knew nothing of socialism or of communism. That would be a development many decades after. But the comparisons to tyranny, the attitudes to tyranny, are those which I think Americans, and particularly American Christians, need to understand in today's world. We must see with a clear focus the similarities between the tyranny and the attitude that the American Christians took to the influence of communism and socialism in our country today. The tyranny of the old has become the socialism of the new. It still threatens freedom, and patriots with a biblical mindset need to rise up to meet it head on and to defeat it, else it take away the liberty that we so highly value. We must again recognize and proclaim that our liberty in Christ provides a reference point for our liberty as citizens. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that again. We must again recognize and proclaim that our liberty in Christ provides a reference point for our liberty as citizens. That's the truest understanding of liberty. It is that liberty that energizes our obligation to vote as Christians. That first generation heard plainly, and they heard sincerely, and they heard biblically the importance of voting. And the importance of voting with biblical values in mind. Today, while our world is much different than that of the 1700s, can we just for a moment imagine life in the late 1700s? How many things would we not have? How different life was. And yet there are similarities that cannot be ignored. And that's the need for Christian citizens to recognize and prioritize voting biblical values. I still like the quote, and you've heard me give it before, from William Federer, who is an American um, historian and Christian author. His quote, the most important thing is to bring people to Christ. The second most important thing is to protect the freedom to do the most important thing. So what is our Christian duty? Today I want to emphasize the importance of voting and like the generation of first Americans we again have the opportunity to impact an election or would it be that Christians across America will stand up and vote biblical values what would it mean in the halls of Congress what would it mean to the legislators of our states what would it mean to the future of America if Christians with biblical values stood to vote it is our Christian duty it is a civil obligation it is a moral responsibility let us vote biblical values and the best way to understand that is to understand what the parties stand for we have out in our lobby a page one side is Republican the other side is Democrat And you can read for yourself where those parties stand, those parties stand on important issues of our day. It's not about the candidates. I still say it is a very meager attitude at best to pursue elections as being about candidate A versus candidate B. The candidates are only the face of a party that has an entire agenda described in their platform. What they will and won't allow. What they will and won't promote. And to read those party platforms might take a while, so read the summary. The quotes that are taken directly from their platforms to know what they stand for. I want to encourage you to vote. Some of you already have. I know that. I'm going to vote at least once between here and the end of the the election day. But it's going to be important that we all vote and vote our biblical values. That's why today, as I close, I want to share with you 20 reasons why I am voting in 2020. That took a long time to figure that one out, right? 20 reasons why I'm in voting in 2020. Now, I want you to listen to these. So I have printed them, and they'll be available as you leave. Free of charge, but you're always always welcome to leave money if you'd like to but they'll be out in the lobby and you can pick up a copy, it's just one page, and I'm gonna read the, the short version and you can read the other parts as opportunity allows. 20 reasons why I am voting in 2020. I am voting for much more than a list of candidates. I am voting for the immutable right of religious freedom, not just freedom of worship. I am voting for the freedom of speech to boldly proclaim and evangelize under the banner of Christ, truth, and the gospel. I am voting to affirm an individual's right to bear arms, both for defense of self and family, and as being necessary to the security of a free state. I am voting for capitalism, which gives the opportunity to reap the rewards of one's own ideas and efforts and labors. I am voting to sustain law enforcement and the principles of law and order. It's just amazing to me that that has been lost in so many communities, but I am voting to sustain law enforcement and the principles of law and order. I am voting to support the military heroes and veterans who along with their families have sacrificed in defense of this country and our freedoms. I am voting to end sanctuary cities and to stop human trafficking and the abuses cast upon children and the innocent by evil men. I am voting for America to be pro-Israel, accepting the Bible's record of God's promise to bless those who bless Abraham's nation. I am voting for secure borders and a citizenship process that benefits our country and the individuals who wish to become citizens. I am voting for the safety of the most innocent among us, unborn children, and I reject that killing preborn babies is somehow health care. I am voting for educational choice so that families have options for their children's present and future. I am voting for righteousness and truth to prevail in our land and for America's continued pursuit of individual and national excellence. I am voting for one nation under God. I am voting to protect America's national heritage as a country built on a foundation influenced by biblical truth and the Judeo-Christian ethic. I am voting for the stars and stripes and the priority of the National Anthem, the Pledge of Allegiance, and our duty to honor those who died defending our country, all so that America can remain the land of the free and the home of the brave. I am voting for a court system and a Supreme Court that bases decisions solely on the Constitution and on law. I am voting as a Christian with biblical values including absolute truth and ethics of life, marriage, and home. I reject any vision of America that is godless, lawless, and truthless. I am voting for the future of my soon-to-be-born grandson. That the America he inherits will remain strong in the God-given rights of life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness I am voting to support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States against all enemies foreign and domestic so help me God our faith in Christ indeed provides the liberty that is the foundation for our spiritual lives and that spiritual foundation gives a framework for our domestic and civil lives. We are to protect the freedom to live out our faith and proclaim the gospel. It's our imperative that we vote with our faith in mind. The choices in the election are clear. The distinctions are sharp. And the need is obvious. We The Christian citizens of America must express our values our voices and our votes I am voting I hope you will join me let's not get caught up in the fury and the fuss of the election let's keep our eyes focused on Christ and let's carry out that important duty that multitudes died for, not just in the War of Independence, but in every war since, lives have been laid down for the cause of freedom. Can we cast that thought aside and ignore voting our biblical values? I say perish the thought. Let's be diligent to our duty. Next week, we're going to look at another important duty and a unique opportunity you'll have to exercise that duty. Let's pray as we close. Father, thank you today for this opportunity to once again be reminded of what your word teaches us about this important concept of liberty. We thank you for a generation of Americans that we have never met, but a generation that stood boldly upon the truth of your word to help establish this nation. May we carry forth that duty of voting with intent and purpose, May we exercise the privilege of what you've given us as citizens of this country to elect our leaders and to vote with the Bible and its truth in our thinking. I pray that you will bless our nation as we go into this election. These next few weeks will be crucial. And we pray your hand of move, that you'll move Christians by the millions across this nation to vote with biblical values. I pray that you'll bless the election and the outcome of the election that we may see this nation move toward righteousness. For we know as your word teaches, righteousness exalts a nation and blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we pray these in the powerful name of Christ, our Savior, amen. Pastor Jason.